course, we know the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive, and I think Ruth gave me her cold. Since it's more blessed to give, I'm going to give it back. I think she's sick again, too, so I'm not sure how my voice is going to go today, so bear with me and the way it is. Not long ago, we went through the anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and can't quite remember the Japanese admiral's name, but remember his uh, quote that came true after they attacked and had great success, yet the aircraft carriers, the three aircraft carriers weren't there, and it was quoted, and he had wrote down and said that, I fear we have awakened the great sleeping giant. Remember that? And that's exactly what happened as the American people came together tremendously. Uh, I can't quite remember. I had the statistics, but wasn't really thinking about saying this. I think they sank, like, I forget how many, nine or so. I forget how many ships, but really um, most of them were brought back up and fixed. I think a couple of them weren't. Obviously, the Arizona I uh, can't remember the other one, maybe Oklahoma, can't, I can't quite remember. But compare that to the church possibly could have woke up. I, I'm not sure. Um, so I want to take us back about a month with this, this election. And I want you not to miss what the Lord has done. Uh, the I really do believe that the Lord has given us a reprieve. I I just do. Do you understand that there is active forces? I mean, you got to know that by now. Active forces to remove Christianity from the United States of America. You see, because Christianity is what formed and founded our nation and made it powerful and strong. So for the opposite forces to do Uh, and accomplish and have victory, they have to remove Christianity, okay? And that's you, and that's I. So regardless of how the election came out in your eyes, okay, because this is not, I think it, it has nothing to do with the two candidates. But regardless of how the election came out in your eyes, it cannot be denied that the church, the Christians, had a remarkable effect on the election. Um... Probably, in my lifetime, the most effect I've ever seen uh, in my lifetime. And it was through prayer and by actually voting. Uh, It truly was. Now listen, there was a rebellious prophet by the name of Jonah, moved by God, who spoke to the city of Nineveh, given over to worldliness. But he spoke even reluctantly. He didn't want to, remember? And they were spared about another 40 years, the Bible says. They had 40 more years. They were given 40 more years. So within that 40-year period, it's unknown to us how many came around to God. Hundreds, thousands maybe, in that 40-year period. Now, as the way the election went, by the mercy of God, as our Supreme Court justices get old and ill and retire, uh, your vote will most likely affect this nation for another 40 years. It's a a lifetime of serving on the Supreme Court. Just like Nineveh, 
God gave Nineveh another 40 years, it seems like he has really given us another 40 years, um, the way things are lining out. Now remember, I really believe it didn't have anything to do with the two candidates. It, it just didn't. I'll tell you what it had to do with. It had to do with you and I being obedient to God, with the church being obedient to God. I mean, fortunately, we have still a right to vote, okay? When you go into that voting booth, something has to lead you on which way to make a decision. Whether you like the two or not, that's the two that were there, okay? So the, the big platforms that I look at, and it has to be filtered, it's like if I take these glasses off, you're all blurry, you really are, and I cannot even possibly read this paper. So these glasses bring things into focus and give me the ability to understand what I'm attempting to say. To the Christian, our glasses is the Word of God. So you go into that voting booth to be obedient to God. You don't vote the way you feel, or you don't vote the way you um, party, whatever you call yourself, Democrat, Independent, Republican. You vote in order to be obedient to the one who's redeemed you. Don't you? I mean, he is the boss. So when platforms come up of like abortion, you've got to vote the way God says so. Even whether you don't like it or not, it doesn't matter. Or the definition of marriage, a man and a woman. You vote according to the laws of God. Israel, the right to exist. Israel has a right. It's the only nation ever that has existed twice. Ever. Okay? And when you see that, and God says that, and the entire world is screaming otherwise, and you've got to walk in to make a decision, you must vote through the filter that God has given us. Now, you might think this is old news, but, but if you climb back in your hammock then nothing's going to happen. You understand, after the end of 40 years, Nineveh got destroyed. Okay, another one was the right to defend yourself. It's in the Word of God. It's in there. You have a right to defend yourself. Someone comes crashing into my house, you have a right. Okay, so you... And the other is religious liberty. That's what they're trying to get us taken away from us. All right, so these are the big platforms and you look at the candidates or whatever and it just so happened it was this one this time around. Now, so the church took the plumb line in the voting booth for the, probably the first time ever. <clears throat> for the first time ever and you, and you plumb that which is in front of you and you have to see uh, the results. Now, look, this is what makes it crazy. Both parties are in total shock. The ones that lost uh, and the ones that won. They're, it's crazy. It's like never before. Total dismay and shock they both are in. This was the hand of Almighty God. Amen. This was truly the hand of God. Now, did you also know that Israel was in mass all-day prayer meetings the day that we were going to the voting booth praying for America? Israel was. 
They were. And uh, after President-elect Trump's victory, a paper in the United Kingdom says that <coughs> President-elect Trump invites Netanyahu to the United States at the first possible opportunity. The first po- Now, this guy, he's ahead of Israel. Now, you have to look at what... Do you understand that the center of the world, according to the Word of God, is not the United States. It's Jerusalem, Israel. It's the center. All right? So you took your vote, and you plumbed it, and you saw in there where it says, if you mess with Israel, you're sticking your finger in the eye of God. You're sticking your finger ooh, you, you, in the eye of God, and you're going, oh, no, 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 no. So now that that's all said and done, which was impossible, became possible because God had mercy and has given us another 40 years. And I say that only because that's probably a lifespan of the people that we believe will be placed in the Supreme Court that should keep us somehow have a conservative anchor still in our nation that seems that they're pulling it more and more out of our land. So that's a good sign for America that our president immediately takes a phone call and invites the leader of Israel, God's people, which is the center of the world, to America as soon as possible. And Netanyahu called him a true friend. Now, I'm not talking about the actual people. Oh, he's so... I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about what has come from the obedience of the people of God. Where half of the United States hates what's happened. All right? But that's your job, is to stand between the living and the dying and the dead. And we did it. We finally did it for once. All because the church did what it was called to do. Okay? Now, that's just the opening line here. Because you have, I think the, the American church has just um, <clears throat> attended church and worked and bought a pet, rooted for a team, and did that again for 40 years. When the pet died, they get another. And, and that's what the American church... Now, I'm 67, been saved over 40 years. That's all I remember. The American church. I've never seen any great uprising. I've never seen any great for the love of God and for the we will. It's just go to work, root for your team, eat bologna at work, pet your cat... And do it for 40 years. And that has never been God's plan for you. Never, ever, ever. Ephesians 2.10. Okay. See what my voice does. It says, For we are his workmanship. You are. God's done some work in you and on you. And through you. Created in Christ Jesus. For what? Unto good works. What we did on election day was part of those good works. Because it has been ordained of God that God works with man. Through man. Adam, get in the garden, keep it and tend it. 
Voting day comes, he's telling me, yeah, son, go in there and vote my rules. Unto good works which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. New King James says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them, live in them. New Living says, For we are God's masterpiece. You're not a piece of junk. He might have took you out of the junk heap, but he made you a masterpiece. I preached a message years and years ago called Touch of the Master's Hand when I had an old jalopy beat-up car. And my friend that I had met through circumstances was a tremendous auto-body painter, took my car and transformed it. I mean, absolutely transformed it. It became a masterpiece in the hands of the Master. And that's what the Lord has done to us. He has created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things He's planned for us long time ago. A long time ago, God knew you were going to be sitting here saved in your right mind at this day and age. And He had planned a purpose for you. Now there's nothing wrong with playing a football game in high school or going off to college or getting a trade to be a carpenter or studying to do this or do that. But those are things for you to just exist while you do the plan of God in our lives. But when the church of God works somewhere for 40 years, roots for a team 40 years, buys six cats in his lifetime, and that's about it. Because we, we've lost the closeness to God that God really, he, he and I work together. You just experienced like never before this last election. If you would not have mobilized yourself according to the Word, being obedient to the Word, getting up and going to do something, we'd be in a most miserable future state right now. <clears throat> For years now, I'm sure you've met people and I'm not belittling any job. You understand? These are jobs that we must work. We must provide. But they're not our life. And they don't give us purpose. You've met people, and I used to be one of them, stood before a drill press, ten hours a day, five days a week, sometimes six weeks, and just doing kind of the same thing, trying to make money for my family. But when you would go at home at night, few of them had the sense of pleasure. Or the purpose of life. This is what life's all about. Godly, conscientious people. Maybe thankful for their job, but they don't feel satisfied in their souls. Nor will you ever, no matter how high of a position. That's the natural way of thinking. Well, if I was just CEO and OOC and whatever they're all called, none of it is satisfying. You probably know car dealers and insurance men, plumbers, who despite their great commitment to their jobs and careers and honesty, and, but if they're truly honest, when you, when you go home from a secular job, 
that really doesn't offer you anything meaning or satisfying or deep need that stirs your soul deep inside. But that's what America's been doing, punching the clock. Going to their little golf meeting outings. Maybe some of you even love your job. Feel energized by your work. Some of you even leave the workplace each day knowing that you've honored God by your work and the love of people. But I have to say, few of them would say, this is what life's all about. Because it's not. Proverbs 29 tells us, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. When God places a plan in front of you, in spite of all the various responsibilities and jobs that you have, then you'll live. A drill press does not give life purpose. Today, this morning, I invite people to be used by the hand of God in ways that they never dreamt they could. We put limitations on God. All the time we put limitations on God. We have a distance relationship instead of a close one with the Lord. Every one of us, there are who knows what God will do through us. What God will do and just drop some simple little plan in a person's mind. And they have the courage to go out and do something. And I believe by doing this you'll have the opportunity to discover and develop gifts you never knew you had. I think we sit on most gifts or they're so buried we don't even know we got them. Here's examples of what the natural person gives himself to. Found in Ecclesiastes 1. Written by a preacher no less. Verse 12 says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. Now listen to all the eyes and what he does. He says, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom. Concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. I've gone through this my whole life, and now I'm nearing, uh, nearing the other part of life. I've been in so many homes where the one person that owns everything is deceased or dying right there. And everything they've accumulated and everything I walk past and everything that they've treasured is meaningless. doesn't matter. The cars in the garage, the golf clubs in the corner. And this is not to come against what you have. I have golf clubs in the corner and I walk past cars. It's not like getting rid of them and breaking your golf clubs. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about what's first in our hearts. <clears throat> he says, I set my heart. He says, it's grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I commune with my heart saying, look, I have attended greatness attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart was understood uh, great wisdom and knowledge. 
And I have been in awe of some people that are so intelligent. Especially out there where my son is. He's taken me to some of his buddies' places. In fact, Ruth decorated one of, the, uh, one of his workers' apartment. And he had a huge, not quite that big, maybe half that size of a white chalkboard. It was like a mad sign, all filled with equations. And he was figuring things out. It was insane, the intelligence. He was like 23. And that's what the preacher's saying here. Solomon, I've attained greatness. I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. 17 says, and I set my heart to know wisdom. He went after this, he said, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for wind. For in much wisdom and much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I'm sure the first nice, beautiful, fine-looking woman, when she sniffs or takes, I don't even know how you do it, the, the meth never thought she'd end up looking like she looks. But it was madness and folly and fun and the thrill and everybody and it's easy and Ecclesiastes 2.4 says, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions than all herbs, herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of the kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, musicians, instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whether my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this, is, this was my reward for my labor. Then I looked. After squandering all the years, maybe the next 40 years. <clears throat> then I looked on all the works that my hand had done, and all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. Because we are not created to chase the wind. We're created to fill the purpose that God has put in our lives. It's a His good pleasure that He gives us a plan, a purpose, an idea, whatever it is. All this stuff doesn't satisfy. Listen, it doesn't even satisfy the heathen that doesn't know about God. It doesn't satisfy those who have it. Was it uh, basketball just come up with a new agreement? The average basketball player is going to make $9 million a year to play 62 games. Do you see satisfaction, harmony, integrity, and honesty in the NBA? Money doesn't. God's t- 
telling us through this preacher who went awry with all the wisdom that God had given him and everything that he accomplished. My gardens, my roses are the best ever. Look at my yard. Look at my landscaping. Look at all this. Look at that swimming pool. What I'm saying to you is that the only thing, the only thing that really puts purpose in your life is doing what God has you to do. That what you're doing now is just to keep you functioning as a tangible person on this earth so that you can do the work of God that he puts before you. But we are into just buying baloney and petting the cat and rooting for this football team and going to that work thinking we've accomplished that which we're supposed to do. We've been duped by the enemy and lied and tricked and deceived. And all the time, the evil forces, just using people, you can forget people, it's spiritual forces have been pulling and pulling at the anchor that holds. The anchor of Almighty God and the gospel that has been planted in our nation. And it's coming up! And for one brief moment on one unbelievable miracle day, Ruth and I sat in amazement just like you. We saw the anchor maybe get pushed down a little bit. But we can't go, there, I'm done. You have to see that you are this masterpiece made for good works by God. We are created to join God on this mission. You stand before God and God looks at you and you say, what have you done? You say, well, Lord, I put 40 years in that USS, U.S. Steel. Is God going to say, well done, my good and faithful? Genesis tells us that the Lord God took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Isn't that what the Lord told him? Remember I've told you before that word dress means to labor, to work. God has placed you in the garden to work. This is not your heaven. Keep it means to be on guard, protect, take care of. Now you can tell we've done a horrible job at it because of the condition of our nation. Thy ideal state of sinless man is not of idleness and without responsibility. God says work is good for you. Work and duty belong to that perfect state. Created. Everything was perfect. And God said, Adam, go to work now. Keep it that way. The ideal state of a sinless man was to work. Watch over and guard the handiwork of God. Every one of us. God's army, which is you, is called to redeem and repair this broken nation and planet. All over, it's what has to be done. John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Now you've got to be able to see the night coming. Now than ever before. So the Lord now tells us through the urgency of John, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And we dodged a night, almost an instant night. 
just by one 24-hour period. The policies that were coming, the agendas that we dodged, were horrendous. If we neglect our opportunities that God has given us for this maybe next 40 years, then we'll just be like Nineveh. We lost forever. Because the night's coming. We know that. It is coming. The Bible tells us that. Okay. In fact, I mean, we kind of thought it was here. Oh, man, this is, how'd we get here? And then we all stood and watched that miracle. Which should tell you something. That God is just waiting to work with his people. Just waiting to work with them. You see, the same thing could have happened in 04 and 08, but we, the people, did nothing. I ain't voting for that guy because that's what he believes. I ain't voting for that. I ain't voting. I'm not. In fact, no, I forget it. I'm not even. Matthew 4 19 says this, and he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's what you have to be doing. This is why driving a truck or president of corporation is not satisfying. It's fishing for men. We watched a little clip again on Wednesday night that just brought all that back afresh. Where the Lord freed and released and redeemed the demoniac that had legions of devils in him. Where the rest of us have given up on him. And the Lord went to him. A perfect example. Pull out your list of those that you have given up on. And remember, he wanted to go with them after he came in his right senses and God delivered him. And the Lord said, no, you stay here. Remember where he was? There wasn't a soul. There wasn't a person serving Christ at all. And I don't know if you caught it last Wednesday night, but it says the Lord never came back that way again until he was on his way to the cross. And when he came to the coast again, second time, believers received him. Meaning that person full of legions and demons who was, everyone gave up on went about and spread the gospel while the Lord was gone. That's your work. They're all around you. We just don't see them. We don't take time. We're busy looking for another cat or another pound of bologna. So he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Trucks and presidents and all that stuff. There's just jobs to keep us going. The Lord gives us our daily bread. It's not our purpose. The desire to be a world changer is planted in every one of you. In every one of us. You might say, well, I don't even own luggage. I can't. Who's talking about you have to write on your knees? Who knows what God will do? That's why we're so jammed in the head. Soon as we preach something like this, we try to start trying to figure out. Just serve God, love God, be obedient to God and see what he does. See what he does. How many people are involved in and out of your life? 
We need to start watering that seed inside of us. Hebrews 11.33 says, For through faith subdued kingdoms. Now listen, not army and might, skill and talent. Or numbers. How did they subdue these kingdoms? Through faith. Through faith believing. We took a little piece of paper, opened it up on Sunday, and it says, pray for Montana. So we did. We didn't know if anybody was praying for Montana. I don't even think of Montana. And yet we stood here and gave someone a microphone. and Didn't we? And then the next Sunday there was another one. Nebraska. And so we did, but that little bit of faith subdued the enemy's nation, brought the enemy to his knees. The enemy who had everything, had the votes, had the money, had everything. And you going, oh Lord, please help Montana. By faith believing, subdued nations. You who the enemy thinks, you ain't nothing. What can you do? Look what you did. Look what you did for my Addison and my Luke and Isaac. You gave them maybe 40 years. Who what? Righteousness obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions, didn't we? They were roaring. And also we would shut up. Quench the violence of... Of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. This is what you are made for. You are supernatural. When you're going, oh God, help Montana, help the Christians in Montana. The Lord hears your prayers and starts saying to his armies, start stirring the people in Montana. Second Corinthians 3 says, For much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in fleshly tablets of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Not at all. But our sufficiency is of God. Listen to this. Who hath made us able ministers. I don't care if you can't read. You'll be an able minister in the hands of God. I don't care if you stutter. Can't think. Can't add. Who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills for the Spirit giveth life. Able ministers means to make sufficient, render fit, to equip one with adequate power to perform duties. That's what God has given us.
Almighty God has made me able. He has equipped me with the power to perform my duties as a Christian man of God. The enemy screams in my ears for years, you can't do this! And I would start to agree with them and still struggle with that today. Until with that same little faith that I would say, God help Montana. Until that same little faith comes around and I look and it says, but God, you says, I'm an able minister. <coughs> Even though I can't. I can become what God has been showing us forever. We can't be men of God, women of God. Because he has made us able. Ephesians 3 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Has nothing to do with you. Everything to do with Almighty. Mark 11 says, For the Son of Man is a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants. Now I just found out, because I asked this question, because my mother was been placed in the care of my sister in South Carolina, so the house and all that has been left for me to deal with. So we cleaned it out, got it ready, put it up for sale. And we think someone possibly can buy it, and it's going to hit smack dab maybe in the time that I'm going to go to L.A. And I'm thinking, guess I can't go. You know, i got to be there for the closing. So I asked the person at noon, I said, no, you don't have to be here. All you got to do is maybe give authority to one of your children. You can go. Just give that authority to one of them, and they can do it. That's the same thing right here. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. If we're on a far journey, this is not our home. Who left his house and gave authority to his servants. That's that power that I can give one of my children to sign and confirm and settle this deal. Listen, it is so liberating and empowering when you have the revelation it's not about you. Because you and I are just always failures. We just are. That's why God took that off our back. That it isn't about you. When you go in for this great uh, job interview, do you understand? Do your best, look nice, clean up. But it's not about you. It's about whether God wants you to have that spot. If God wants to take that light and place it there. If he doesn't, the door will shut. If it's impossible for the door to open, you don't have one centimeter of qualification to door open. Because God says, open. And there you'll be. It takes it off you. You and God working together. 
Mark 10, 27 says, And Jesus looking upon them, saying, With men, you're absolutely right. This is impossible. But not with God. Most of my Christian life is probably because of my dumb American way of thinking. I would say, geez, God, I don't know if I've really witnessed some tremendous miracle. Well, maybe you feel that way. But if, if you watched the news that night, you witnessed a miracle. Something that was impossible. The numbers don't add up. Nothing adds up. Other than God said, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it through my people. And it was done. I hate political correctness. It does. It invades us. Even as I made this little jot on my note the other day, I thought, oh, that probably won't go over. Well, I don't care. I I don't. Because it'll be silly. Oh, I'll tell you something silly. Did did you hear the the Christmas carol or Christmas? I don't know if it's a Christmas carol what that's under attack. You remember the the old song sung by Dean Martin and someone else, Baby, It's Cold Outside? I really don't want to go, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Who who heard that song? Okay, well, there's folks in Minnesota saying that's a date rape song. Date rape, put something in her drink. That's how insane our nation is getting. They change the whole words of the song. In other words, they they ruin everything. They just do. They ruin everything. Now look, so here's the word I wasn't going to use, but I'm going to use. Ask the Lord to give you a target. That's the word. (gasps) Target. Yeah, no, get a target. Maybe it's the person at Subway that always gives you your black forest ham sandwich. Target her with your prayers. Maybe, maybe it's just you and, and her that one day, and you're going through the line. Lettuce, green pepper, so how you doing? What's been going on? Not a whole lot, okay. And there's a tip box, and there's nothing in it. Throw five in it. Start, and then two days later, you're back again. Target someone. Instead of just looking for another cat. Seriously, right? Or another pound of bologna. Target somebody. They're all over the place. You see them almost all the time. But you don't see them. Is our problem. And so when you see what God has seeming like spared us and has given us a reprieve, start targeting those people around you. Psalms tells us, Ask of me, and I shall give you the heathen. Ask. Ask. And if you wait till you have no problems, you will die unfulfilled. Because you will always have problems. The birthright or the birthmark on a believer... You ever see birthmarks when babies are born? Birthmark on a believer is a bullseye. You're being born in a world that hates 
the things of Christ. Forget it. You will not have trouble when you get to heaven. Here, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome it. Your birthmark is a bullseye when you serve God. So be it. God has my back, my front, and my sides. Let's stand. The whole reason for this morning's message is to remind us again, because sickness, this stupid sickness has been in our house, just wears you out. Trials, doctor's appointments, all these things that just weigh on us, just smother us at times. And we walk right past the targets. We don't even see them begging for help. And the target that God might put in your life, don't be put off by how bad it looks or how ugly it looks. You leave that up to God. Our altar calls this, Lord, please focus my eyes and give me targets. Lord, that I could start zeroing in on. Look, look, look at me. Take the big I out of your life. Me, myself, and I. Get rid of it and say, God, who, Lord, where? I don't know what, how you'll do it. It's you. I'm, I'm no way opposite. I am total opposite of Adam King, my son-in-law. But we both do our thing. And different, however, do it. Target people. You'll see them. You'll see them. Say, Lord, this morning, God, anoint my eyes. Lord, anoint my ears. Lord, please. Please. So I can target people and I can do the will. You, listen. You are a masterpiece made by God. Now, I know the enemy's saying you're a piece of God. Forget the enemy. Just because the fool says that doesn't mean it's true. He's a liar. You are a masterpiece made for good works. Now, come get filled with that liquid gold, the Spirit of God. Start targeting and start doing those good works. God has given us more time. Altars are open. Please come. Come, new hope. That's why we're sitting right here on 40. Come, church.